Welcome to What CEOs Want to Know, short conversations that can make a lasting difference to your business. My name is Linda Ruland, founder of Success Authorities and the producer of this podcast series. I'm speaking today with Success Authority Peter Beaumont. In our conversation, Peter turns the topic of leadership on its head. When I asked him, what defines good leadership? Peter instead explained to me, what does not? I wrote an article probably a couple of years ago. It had over 111,000 views, 880,000 shares, and it was about uh, the seven signs of poor leadership. So it turned it, it flipped it on its coin. Ah, flipped the, yeah, flipped the coin, uh, if you like, and looked at it from a, 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 a so-called negative, but th- then you made the positive points, if that makes sense. So that, to me, is how to talk about what makes a good leadership program, because it's like, here's what leaders are poor at and get recognized for, but this is how to count, you know, this is how to, because so many things are written about how to be a good leader. You rarely hear about, the opposite side of that is, and you can learn a lot from knowing what the poor leadership is, right? And then the second part, uh, I, I like the crisis thing because I, there's there's um, uh, five things I've been instilling in people during this, you know, with my clients about how to be better leaders. Um, it, which, by the way, are just the things that you would actually do normally in a non-crisis, but they're even more important in a crisis. Typically, what you see or what I have seen um, with leadership uh, uh, and the it doesn't matter what size the company is. It it seems to be fairly uh, permeates all all to all levels and all types of organization, unfortunately. And it's threatening behavior. It's it's bullying. If you don't do this, uh, you know, the whole carrot and stick technique loses the, the carrot and it's simply the stick that's being used and um the problem with that of course is it's incredibly demotivating and 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 uh you do, you're not going to follow a leader over a precipice if they're constantly threatening you it's the bullying behavior which we learn and unfortunately all too many of us learn at school and and the the uh the, the it sends us into a shell uh, development stops and there's no longer teamwork because everybody's focusing on self-preservation. So that's the first one I think is really dangerous is when we see leaders actually using threatening behavior. Um, and, and kind of linked to it is, um, is the second one is, is never apologizing when you make an error. It's so important to make sure that people realize that you understand you're not perfect and you do make mistakes, which is why you need a team. Um, Typically, what happens with people who don't apologize is they blame other people for everything. And this blame uh, disease is a real issue because, um, again, it has people running for the, to the shadows or to a cave because they're wondering what's coming next. And so that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's a real issue, I think, for leaders that just kind of absolve themselves of responsibility, really, by never apologizing. It's never their fault. And then I, I think uh, the third one that we see a lot of and it's, it should be avoided is micromanagement. Um, when I was working with uh, a certified value builder, there are seven um, uh, factors that contribute towards building value in a business. And one of them that they talked about being an issue was hub and spoke. 
And that is when the entrepreneur or the CEO or the owner or the principal has grown up doing everything themselves and they continue doing it. They haven't let go and delegated. And the problem with that is if that person goes under the proverbial bus, the company is paralyzed. And, um, but more importantly, I think, is they're not building other leaders. They're not building other people who can actually show some leadership abilities and take over responsibilities for certain segments of the business. So that's a big one, in, in my view, that, um, that people have got to be careful of. Um, the, what would be, a, what is it, the fourth one, I guess, is lack of discipline. So constantly changing the goals and the targets simply because it suits them. So, or even worse, not having goals or targets. Sort of just, why haven't we reached this? And everybody looks at the message to say, well, that wasn't exactly what we agreed. Uh, we never had a goal or a target. So moving the goalposts is a wonderful expression, right, for describing what that happens, right? So you, you didn't reach your goal this week. Well, I didn't know where the goalpost was. And by the way, I think you moved it from last week. So terribly um, demotivational, uh, debilitating, and creates a hostility in, in, in the team, if you, even if you can call it a team at this stage, because we've gone through four things that probably have described the fact that you don't have one. So uh, I think that that's, that's, that's a huge one. Uh, the next one for me would be nebulous expectations. So just, uh, you know, not clear about where the vision for the company is. What are we going to try and achieve in five years or three years or one year? And, what, and in that, what are you going to try and achieve? By not having those, it makes um, everybody a scapegoat and it makes uh, it easy to shift things around when things are not going well. And so we can talk about that in the, that, that kind of talks about what happens in a crisis too, if you don't have everybody aligned with the same vision. And then I think um, another poor leadership trait that I've seen is people not being able to motivate others. They're not, they don't lead from the front and they don't respond well to negative comments. So instead of saying, why do you think that's the case? And what is the way of improving that? It's discarded as just not important and not allowed even to be, you know, I remember uh, years ago first, when I first joined an American corporation, which was the Coca-Cola company, actually it's Philip Morris. And the f famous expression throughout that time was, um, let's not be negative. So everything had to be positive, everything. And so you weren't, there wasn't any space to allow to say, wait a minute, what if we look at it in a different way? You were just discounted as being negative, which meant that you were turning people into robotic soldiers rather than people that thought for themselves. And any good organization with good leadership has people that can think for themselves. And I guess the last one is bad communication. And that sounds obvious, and, but I'm not talking particularly about the written word or, or email. I'm talking more about not listening to others, which is kind of linked to the lack of motivating others, but it's not just not having time. And I, again, I remember early in my career, I was in something called uh, looking through the, it was an exercise, three-day exercise, looking through the, um, uh, looking through the mirror or looking through the looking glass, I think it was called, where it was a reflection of, how, of you reacting in certain situations. So they put us into a simulation. Uh, I forget. I, I think it was my early days with Coca-Cola, my first time around. And they uh, selected uh, a certain number of people to go on this thing. And you, 
you got an in-tray the night before you walked into an office which had been put together like a real office and you were uh, uh, a particular role and mine was a managing director of one of the three divisions and my first management meeting I had to hold and by the way you make it up as you go along it's not set up for you just given a brief and then given an in-tray and get on with it so um my first meeting there was a guy that was was a production manager who was very quiet hardly said anything so I discounted him I was in my late 20s then. And unless anybody spoke strongly, I'd just ignore them. <laughs> and so uh, not a good quality to have, by the way, which is what the point I'm trying to prove. Because as we went through the exercise, uh, we succeeded as a division in many areas, but we did not fulfill our production quotas and therefore did not make revenue targets. We should have done mainly because of that. But it took me till towards the end of the exercise to realize that was going on. And so when we did the post-mortem, I had not been listening to this guy for all the wrong reasons. And he had all the answers. And so that's a very good example of poor leadership in my case. So, uh, so those are kind of the seven things, I think, where you look at the other side of the coin and it, turn it around and it tells you what good leadership should look like. Connected to that, Peter, how do you develop that in your organization? First of all, you have to have a platform where... Um, everybody, the, the leadership team meet, meet, by the way, and this is part of, um, I'll bring in some attributes. From, there's lots of different um, leadership disciplines that everybody learns from. EOS is one of the ones I've learned from, which is, I think, got some really good things in there, where they talk about having um, a regular meeting, same time uh, of the week, same day of the week, same agenda, um, and same format, so that you get in, uh, get into this um, rhythm of doing things on a regular basis. Now, if you do that, people feel more comfortable in that arena rather than suddenly a meeting be called. Um, the other part is that you have a chance, 60 minutes of that 90-minute meeting, to talk about issues. And what I've noticed in practicing that in the last three years or so, and before that, is that by setting up that rhythm, People get used to discussing what we used to call problems, what we now call issues. <laughs> They're still problems, but it's it became a funny word. And people have a problem with issues too. And that's, that's part of the problem itself because they exist. And so we need to get them out onto the table. And so conflict is probably one of the biggest challenges for any leader. How do you channel conflict in a positive way? Um, and it's not easy. So... I, I would suggest to you that most leaders need to be good facilitators. And the reason I say that is because facilitating is different, slightly different from being a leader, slightly, because it allows other people to have a say. And by facilitating, you allow everybody to enter into that conversation. You do it in a way that it doesn't feel like conflict. And, you know, a lot of problems are often solved just by allowing somebody to have a voice. You may not they may not actually get their way at the end of the meeting, but they'll go out satisfied that somebody's listened to them in an arena where it was important that it was listened to, even if perhaps the decision hasn't gone their way. So that's, I, I think that's part of the way that I would answer that question. Well, that's absolutely true too, because as long as you've got an open channel, whether or not the advice is taken, if, if people are being listened to clearly the, uh, 
sense of trust is a little stronger in that environment. You, you make a great, you say a great word there, which I've forgotten. I, I haven't entered into the conversation. It should have done, which is trust is so, you can't form good relationships. And, you know, I've written a book on relationships uh, called The Relationship Map back in 2014. And, and it applies to any part of the business you're involved in, whether it's internal relationships or external relationships. But relationships are formed, good relationships are, based, are formed on two main uh, on two main prongs, if you like. One is trust and the other is respect. You could argue that one comes from the other, but i.e. respect follows trust. But you know, without those two things, you there is no relationship. And without relationships in a team, you are going to have this silo effect where people are pulling against each other rather than pulling together. And that's what good leaders do. They, you know, to use that, the often used you know analogy of a boat where you have a crew right and and you the, the boat becomes stilled and rudderless when you don't have a good leader and uh, because not everybody's not rowing in the same direction they don't even know which direction they're going in they'll let them row that <laughs> so so you go around in circles and, and then deciding where we should go so a good leader facilitates where should we go what do you think we should be doing, guys? And then everybody's committed to that decision because they've all had a say in it. And then, okay, where, where is that direction? Right, now we can start rowing towards it. So, yeah, really important. Very important. Do, do these principles change? Good question. I think those principles um, hold steady um, because uh, they have to. Right? I mean, and I, I would suggest that the, the rhythm and that meeting thing Although we couldn't do it often uh, physically, uh, smart firms and certainly clients that I advise continue to do that via Zoom or Teams or whatever vehicle was used to, to, to do it virtually. But probably even more important to do it virtually uh, more often than we did to get everybody realizing we, it, it's okay. We are we are together on this, and but I think that the same premises have had the rhythm. You know, not to just because we had a pen, but we had, and by the way still have a pandemic to a large extent, just because we were in a pandemic, are in a pandemic, we shouldn't stop the principles that have that we just went through, really, that build good leadership. And facilitating becomes even more important in a virtual world than it does in a physical world, because um, it's, it's more subtle. You know, you, you can't allow people to switch off the video. You can't allow them to be doing it on a telephone because they're not really embraced in the meeting. Hybrid is just something I would not have because the people that are on not in the physical meeting and a phone don't feel part of it. So either everybody's on it or everybody's not on it, right? So, um, so but the leadership principles are the same. But I think in a crisis which we've gone through, there's some other principles that we need to be aware of. So, um, um, I think perfection goes out of the window. You know, when you have a pandemic, you can't. And a lot of leaders are guilty of this anyway, which is wanting perfection, not from just from themselves, but they expect everybody else to be perfect too. Therefore, because they, you know, we live to my standard, I want everybody else. In the pandemic, people are going through a lot more issues around balancing their family. They're worried about their, their, their parents. They're worried about their kids. There's so much more going on in their world than, than there was. I mean, it's, it's, it's stratified. It's no longer a, you can compartmentalize between home and job. The home piece and the job thing have started merging so much more 
and there's so many more pieces to it. And then I think the second thing would be um, we have to understand what the difference is between complicated and complex. Everything sun- suddenly becomes complicated or is, is it just complex? So complicated just means you can split things down into certain degrees or processes, right? Complex is a lot more difficult. So it means having a team to actually probably divide up and taking parts of those and then coming back and then splitting them down into the complicated. But there's, they're two very different things. And I think in the crisis, we got them muddled. Yeah. And so we weren't doing some of the things that made sense by doing them in easy steps. We were trying to do everything together because we had to. Um, the contrast was the people who just thought we'd just get out of this and put their head in the sand. Well, <laughs> that doesn't work either. You, know, um, you have to grasp what you can. And that's why we've seen great examples of people pivoting. They grasped the complex and split it down and went, well, if I keep doing this, this is going to be the result. So I need to look at something else. Um, I, I think the third one I'd mentioned in a crisis, particularly in a crisis, is you've got to work on the business more than in the business. If, if you do what you have been doing before, which is working in the business in a crisis, you will keep going down the same path. And that old adage of, you know, keep doing the same thing, expecting different results is, uh, you know, definition of insanity. So it's a bit... It reminds me of my golf swing. You know, I'm in a bunker and I keep trying to play the same shot out. And five shots later, I'm like, well, maybe I need to put the golf club a little bit wider in my stance. And the ball comes out uh, six shots later. So uh, that's my definition of insanity. <laughs> but uh, I think working on the business is so important. Um, looking at it down and looking at all the trends rather than just being in the business, doing what we've always done. Um I think the fourth thing I, 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 I actually wrote about this uh, in a crisis is, is accepting the discomfort of not knowing. So we, it's a little bit like um, going to the doctor, right? We, um, in, you know, not too long ago, we used to go to one person instead of being sent to a specialist. So, if you, you know, go in and say, what's the point of coming to see you? sent me over there so maybe i should start there in future but you go in to see the doctor and you walk in finally after quite a long wait and they manage to hopefully tell you what's wrong with you and prescribe something and you walk out feeling so much better nothing has changed physically since you walked in and walked out except what's going on between the ears and what's going on between the ears is that um you suddenly know what the issue is and you're dealing with it. Well, it's the same with accepting the discomfort of not knowing. So we, we, we have to shift it from, I think it was the CEO of Microsoft that said we need to shift from knowing it all to learning it all. And that's a big shift in the way that we do. And that's what leaders should. They don't have all the answers. That's why they have a team. So, it's okay not to know where we're going in a crisis, but let's make sure that we're learning about how to deal with it. And then uh, I think the, the, one of the fifth areas I've seen, at least for my clients, they go into self-absorption. Um, suddenly it's all about them. And how did this happen? What did I do to deserve this? And they don't have anybody to share things with inside the company. And I think this is where mastermind groups have really uh, been very successful during 
the, the uh, during the pandemic because they've been able to share stuff that they wouldn't be able to share with other people about their business. And, and I think that's been a huge benefit. So finding partners to share and, and, and understand how they've worked really helps a lot. So that's, that's the fifth. The sixth would be um, plan for the worst and hope for the best. So that sounds, again, that's a very trite saying we hear a lot. But what's it really mean? What I have been doing, and it's been very successful, and it, it's kind of linked to accepting the discomfort, is scenario planning. So what's the worst scenario, scenario that could happen to your business versus what is where we are now and what can we hope for the best? And then once you kind of know the worst, it's a bit more palatable, but also it means... Well, if that's the worst, is that really what can happen? No, actually not. There's a load of other things we could do. So uh, I've been going through um, uh, scenario planning with columns of worst, better, mm -hmm. you know, best. And then what can what do we need to do to accomplish that best versus that worst, avoiding the worst scenario? And I think um, uh, planning for the worst, but but hoping for the best. It's not hoping anymore. It's it's kind of plan for the worst and plan for the best, right? So, uh, and, and I think that's, that's helped a lot during the crisis uh, to get people to where they need to be. Um, so I think those, um, those are probably the six things, I think, that are a, a slight shift from what we started with, where yeah. we looked at the opposite side of the coin. Yes, a, a very important shift, though. And what you've effectively done, too, with playing for the worst and playing for the best it seems to me is that you're framing that ambiguity. You're giving it some definition. So that adds a layer of control, if not comfort. All right. All right. I agree. I agree. And I, I think, and by the way, when you think about it, as I just have done whilst I've been talking to you, <laughs> those six things should be rolled into those other ones we were talking about. I mean, because they're, they're as good in a pandemic as they're not in a pandemic. So I think, you know, in all honesty, leaders, the, the smart leaders have discovered things. The pandemic, let's be honest, has actually benefited a lot of businesses and a lot of leaders. They've learned things that they hadn't even thought about before. You know, now, by the way, I don't have to travel two hours to see that guy uh, 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 for the first meeting. I can catch up on a Zoom for 30, and if it's worth it, then we'll get together. Um, so, right? So that's that's just one small thing. But how can I, you know, if you've got geographic issues with your team, rather than flying them in all the time, let's do a – everybody's on Zoom, by the way, not just the guys in the meeting room. We put everybody in Zoom, and we have a Zoom meeting. Um, and uh, we learned a lot during um, – that we could actually do condense – what we had is one-day meetings physically. You can't do – it's very difficult to do an all-day virtual meeting. It really – just think about it, right? It's just – it's just, yeah. So what, what I've done is condense those into half days virtually with lots of breaks, right? And – but believe it or not, we were just as productive in many ways in those half days as we were in a full day. And so I think we've learned a lot how to be a bit more efficient – how to be smart about uh, things. And in a funny sort of way, the teams have come together more in virtually. I mean, there's a lovely story of my mother-in-law going to a, uh, an event just before July 4th. And it's the first time they've really been out to meet friends. 
And I said, how did, and they came back to the house. And I said, how did it go? She said, oh, it was incredible. She said, it was so nice to see everyone. She said, I was even hugging people I don't like. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's, that just goes to show um, what we realize we've missed and uh, uh, what hopefully we won't forget. Thank you for listening to What CEOs Want to Know. You can look forward to future podcasts featuring authorities on topics that are vital to the success of your business, especially during changing times. For more information or to contact us directly, visit us at successauthorities.com.